Hey, Tyler. Hey, Jay. Do you remember when we got to pick a new M&M flavor? Color? Oh, yeah. And I was really disappointed because I liked kind of the lighter poop brown color. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't know that that was part of the deal. Yeah. That when we were voting for this that new... we were cutting out the yeah, other one? Yeah, they didn't tell us that. They didn't. Oh. They, so what were the... Fake so news. Blue was one of them. Yeah. Because that's what one. one. Purple was in there. Was purple in there? I think it was because Sarah oh. was extremely upset that it I would have voted for purple. Yeah. I don't think I voted because I thought the whole thing was stupid. Yeah. <laughs> right. But I definitely would not have voted to get rid of that light brown yeah. color. So this is another thing that you may not realize if you haven't if you've lived in only the, yeah. the realm of the purple or the, the blue M&M. Blue did not used to be a, a color in M&M. There was only brown, red, yellow, green, and yeah. then light brown. Yeah. Which doesn't make sense. No, there were two browns. You know, all the colors of the rainbow. Fun fact here though. Okay. Now we're now we're really in the weeds. Uh, did you know? Reese's Pieces. Yes. And we'll say it properly because someone sir. threw some shade I know, at the podcast. some internet troll really uh, <laughs> jumped on that one. <laughs> on the other podcast. But I, was, I actually, as I was listening to that, I was thinking, oh, this will be the next uh, thing is like, what is your pet peeve uh-huh. that you can't, that makes you furious on a level that you can't understand? Reese's Pieces. And that's mine. When yeah. people say Reese's. It's Reese's. It's Reese's. Pieces. Because it's, if you took the apostrophe S off that, the name is not Reese. No, it's Reese. It's Reese. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. But anyway, no, Reese's Pieces yep. exists only because in the movie E.T., M&M's did not give their permission to be the candy. It was a thing before that. No. no. Look that up. Oh, Bartleby's going to check us on this. Uh, as he should. I think because it, So I, I would say, so what you were going to say is that, finish your thought. The Reese's Pieces became a thing because the movie needed something for him to put down on the ground and have E.T. follow him into the bedroom. Okay, so here's what I think is the reality of that situation. Because that story is not untrue. Yeah. It's a false <laughs> What? So uh, <laughs> what happened is they definitely pursued uh, Eminem mm-hmm. to be the people. And Eminem's like, no, I'm not going to just give you free advertising in there or give ourselves free advertising. I never understood the yeah. idea of like, what? just use their products. Let them use it. Why, why do you care if Coke is in there? I think it's right. good. Um, and because they Eminem said no, the next viable option was the little-known Reese's Pieces. And so Reese's Pieces became a global phenomenon because of the advertisement that it got in that. But it it had pre-existed. It was just like the poor man's whatever. It's like whatever a Reese's or a Hershey's Kiss is that's not from Hershey's, which I'm sure there is one, but we don't know what it is. Or whatever peanut butter cup that's not from Reese's. There are peanut butter cups that come not from Reese's. So if there was some mega... Uh, super successful blockbuster and they wanted to use Reese's Peanut Butter Cups and something about the plot entailed that they had to be Reese's Peanut Butter Cups Yeah. but then Reese's wouldn't let you use the Peanut Butter Cups that they went to like Stouffer's Peanut Butter Cups <laughs> and then they became huge because, yeah, because everyone wants to eat what E.T. eats. Fun fact, uh, the, the Dunmore Candy Kitchen in uh, Scranton, Pennsylvania makes an incredible peanut butter cup. Okay, so uh, anyway... Uh, getting back, let's get back into our conversation because I'm Tyler yes. and I'm Jay, and this is Roughing the Pastor Part Two.
two-parter. Yeah, we did. Very exciting. So we are in the very early stages. We're back of an election. Yeah, it, it's coming. Uh, the, the oh boy, I can't believe it. I mean, on one level, it's like it can't come soon enough. On another level, it's a year and a half away. Yep, yep. yep. <laughs> there are at present. Um, we should say I, I don't know when this episode will come out, but at present, it'll come out pretty quick because we've kind of exhausted our our cache of uh, yeah. episodes. I think we got one in. We got one coming up that's Monday, and then one after that. Yeah. We might even push this one in front of the other. Yeah. Know. So we we have this will come out within three weeks. Okay. Okay. At the time of this recording, there are twenty three Democratic candidates yeah. vying in a yeah, primary. Yeah, there could be twenty seven <laughs> by the time you hear this, or eighteen. I might announce that I'm running by the time this comes. Yeah, out. I'm not gonna. I will neither confirm nor deny my running. <laughs> I'm gonna form an exploratory. I do committee. have an exploratory committee. <laughs> but believe it or not, there are two Republicans. Uh, Donald Trump and there is another guy. What? Uh, I did not know that. Bill Weld, who was with the uh, Libertarian Party last time around. Oh, is so for, like a, a Bernie Sanders. He Republican. stands zero chance. <laughs> yeah. yep. no, not even not even close. Uh, but I think the two questions we asked at the end of that last hit are still relevant, especially now. Yeah. Number one, how in do the you days ha- since you heard the last one? <laughs> right. How do you hear? How do you have a political conversation that is decent and not you know crappy and more importantly, uh, like an actual conversation instead of a debate? Right. And to, to frame that, I always said, and I think I may have said this on the podcast, but it's always worth repeating. If you're not sure if you're having a conversation or a debate, yeah. stop to think: Am I winning? And if you are, then you're in a debate debate. because you can't win a conversation or lose a conversation. Correct. I mean, the way you win is by learning. A a conversation is about understanding, expressing how you feel and even more importantly, hearing how somebody else feels. It's not validating or judging or giving them an assessment on their opinions. It's understanding them. Yeah. And that's again. Conversation is about understanding. Debates are about winning. And this is the the, the second question. Let me say the second question yeah. before I get to the joke. Yep. But the, the second question is how does faith play into politics in a way that is not destructive to your faith? Yes. Um, how, do, how do how does our faith inform our politics and not our politics inform our faith? Right. Right. Yeah. I uh, just throwing it out there right away. The answer is not social media. Uh, <laughs> I went, Sarah and I went to see a comedian a couple of weeks ago. Uh, and, um, what's Brian, his name? Brian, Brian Regan. Regan. Were you there? Come on now. No, you said you were going to. Oh, huh? man. Such a great show. But the opening joke was this really weird thing happened on Twitter today before I got up here. Somebody posted something political and then someone else responded, good point. I changed my mind. <laughs> And everyone in the auditorium laughed. Laughed. Yeah, because that's a joke. Because that's a joke. Yeah, that would never happen. So step one, if you want to have legitimate conversations about politics, yeah. get off of social media. Yeah. It's not a healthy place to have those particular or, conversations. Yeah, absolutely don't uh, take those conversations off of social media. Yeah. I think that Go there, meet somebody at the coffee yeah, shop if you want to have that conversation. There are obvious. And I think, I mean, and I mean, as we are both people who post a lot on social media. Yeah. Um, and both people who post things that could be seen as contentious on social media, yeah. so, so social media, mo, mo, social media. Oh man, it's been a I, day. Sorry, I had a uh, aneurysm there for a <laughs> Uh So um, it's not that we are being hypocritical in saying this. No, uh, and I have, I mean, in my career in social media, I have spent many long engagements going back and forth with people, having yeah. what is. I mean, not intended to be debates, but from the outset, from the outside may look like debates where I'm legitimately trying to 
entertain understanding and, and right. persuade. And a lot of times those then yield to direct messages and yeah. private um, conversations well, with the, folks. And that's the point for me at which that conversation ends. And it has ended a yeah. bunch of times is when I say, look, neither of us are changing our mind here. Yeah. Uh, that will shut a conversation down to me way before like any of the angry yeah. name call. Like yeah. if there's a potential that we could come to a better understanding about where each other comes from, great. That's yeah. fine. But when it gets to a point where it's just people yelling their opinions at each other, yeah, yeah, that's not healthy in any way, shape, or form. No. Uh, I, I think that it's important for us to use um, use the opportunities that we have, use the voices that we have to give voice to perhaps people who wouldn't have uh, to, to things that wouldn't have been heard otherwise. Yeah. But to uh, demean people and to debate people, that's not the best platform right. for that. Right. But to bring up points to say, have you considered this? I think that that's the, 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 the ways in which I try to post things is to try to say, have you considered this? Oh man, you can get so and far. And if you want to talk about it, then let's talk about you it. You can get so far with a question. Yes. In a way that you couldn't just by stating an opinion. Yeah. You know, how, how do you think, how did you get to this place? It's a great place, great yeah. way to ask, um, yeah. you know. And what would you feel if you were in this situation? Right. Like just right. try to do, put it in an empathetic. And it's not to say that we are experts at this. No. But, no, uh, I blow it on the regular. No. Yeah. I do appreciate, uh, it seems like your ongoing quest to get blocked by Donald Trump. I do live into that. Because <laughs> here's my thing. I, it, it, he has embraced the platform. It's like of, every other day yeah, you have a comment. I have to, something to say. Well, and there was one that hit like gold too. I, I know. Feel like, what, and you, I got a little nervous about that. Uh, yeah. I got a little nervous I about that. I thought you were going to get blocked after that yeah. one. And then I saw you were still posting. Like, I wasn't know. nervous about that. I'll get blocked. I would put that as a badge of honor. I know. Um, I know. But my the thing only is, thing I would feel bad about being blocked is you wouldn't be able to see the tweets after that. That's true. Yeah. My thing with that, though, is, you, you know, I, I think it's both bad and interesting all at the same time. To put it into clarity, um, uh, just uh, yeah. in case we didn't make it clear, uh, Jay... At least, at least every other day. At least, uh, I would say at least once or twice a week. Yeah, yeah. Oh, it's uh, it's probably five or six okay. times a week. At least once uh, or twice, but probably more. Has a comment, and I know because it because I follow you. You're one of the people that I put like come up first, mm-hmm. and so whenever you tweet something to Donald Trump, <laughs> it comes up immediately. Yeah. And so I'll get your tweet first, then I have to go back in context and look at it. And yeah. It, and there was one that you got like. 300 likes or yeah. something like that. I don't even remember what it was. And I remember, oh man, this guy, you're on your way to a blue star. Yeah. Well, <laughs> <laughs> I get the blue check all of yep, a sudden yep. for my work on the podcast. Yep. My thing with that is, and that's interesting and destructive all at the same time, is Donald Trump has embraced Twitter in a way that no leader has before. No. Um, and we thought Barack Obama was all in on Twitter. And yeah. We were like, look at this guy. Yeah, he tweets every week. Yeah. 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 The, the Donald Trump, you can tell. But he it, tweets a link to a speech. Yeah, right. Yeah. <laughs> right. But Donald Trump it uses that platform in such a way that on one hand, I appreciate because it does open us up to have a conversation. Yeah. He's not listening to what I have to say. Oh, no. But if he's going to come to Twitter and start throwing some stuff out there, I feel like he's invited me yes. to yeah. throw some stuff back. Yeah. And, and, and that's not... I don't do it. And you don't say, and I mean, to, to also put it in clarity, you don't say asinine things to no. him. And by the you by, say very simple, like, Oh, like if he says something, if he calls someone else racist, you'll say, really? Yeah. Or basically that like, and I, I actually have some rules for myself in this. Um, and some of my friends disagree with me on this, Ooh. but I will not call him anything but sir or mr president yeah and i don't do that tongue-in-cheek that's not sarcasm yeah okay um he there was an election he won it he holds that office yes 
I disagree with None him. None of us would care what he said if he wasn't the president. No, right. So that's... I, I, I disagree with him on oh so many things, Yeah, uh, but he's the president. He is the president. He's the yeah. president. Yeah, so, the phrase not my president, is that's just not how this country works. No, no. That doesn't mean, like, I didn't vote for him. Right. I'm not happy as president, but he's no. still our president. He's still the president. Yeah. And, and there's a certain level of respect and dignity that comes with that office. Yeah. He tries on a regular basis to remove the dignity oh, and the respect that comes with that yeah. office. But as far as I'm concerned, he's sir or Mr. President. Like, there so again, like sometimes I think when I write that, it sounds like I'm being snarky. I'm actually not. Yeah. Like that to me, he's president. Um, I'm gonna stop liking the tweets. I thought you were being sarcastic. <laughs> well, no, that's <laughs> only those words are not sarcastic. <laughs> There's a lot in those tweets that I fire back that is sarcastic. Um, so yeah, I, I, I derailed you. I, so social media. What were we talking about? We're talking about how to have the conversation. Yeah, yeah, do it. Uh, and, and by the way, that that speaking of, we don't do it perfectly all the time. Those little tweets I throw back at the president. Those are one of my. Every time I do it, I go, "Should I have done that?" Yeah, and it's fun, but it's not advancing the conversation at all. No, it's not. But also, neither is he. So right. I mean, it, that I think any engagement that you have with the real Donald Trump on Twitter is you know that's like shouting into the like it's shout into a paper bag and throw it in the ocean. Yeah. It sees it serves the same purpose. Right. So it's just it's venting. Right. Right. In a way that might get you blocked, which is funny. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, but yeah, like trying to have that conversation that... that uh, so I have a good friend named Travis, um, and I'm going to throw him in here. He's, uh, I, like I said in the last episode, I am independent-leaning liberal. Yeah. He's conservative, moderately so. Yeah. Uh, and, and the way I always talk to him is uh, he's a very well-thought conservative, very yeah. thoughtful conservative. Yeah. And he and I have come to the place where, like I said last episode, like uh, try to pick up an issue, tax policy. I think that it should be one way, uh, that there should be higher taxes on wealthy people and lower taxes on. Uh, yeah. And he thinks the opposite. But both of us come at it from a we want the economy to be better for people who don't have enough. Yes. And, and yeah. And there, there are very reasoned arguments on both of those sides that this is a helpful thing for the economy right? in a way that makes it safer for everyone, Yeah, that there is a better social safety net. Right. And the irony about America is like when people talk about socialism, especially with like people like Bernie Sanders and mm -hmm. Alexander. There's a bunch going Cortez, right now. Like the, the social Democrats. Yeah. Um, America is not will be or could be. <laughs> we are a socialist country. Yeah. We are not capitalist. We are we are a form of capitalist socialism. And if you are saying no, 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 we have we have been almost our entire existence, but especially since the 1930s, yeah, um, since the New Deal and Franklin Roosevelt and everything that happened that saved this country. Yep. And anything. Well, and again in the in the recession. And again in the 1950s under yep. Eisenhower. So it was both. The two biggest socializers of this country in the modern era are Franklin Delano Roosevelt, the most democratic uh, kind of progressive that you can get. Yep. And Eisen, Dwight D. Eisenhower, the most like <laughs> conservative. Conser social conservative uh, and uh, and economic conservative, but reasonable conservative, yep. not conservative in the in the way that the fundamentalist punditry yeah. brings us today. And that's not to say that we don't have reasonable conservatives now. We got a ton. Yeah. They just don't seem to be the people talking right now, which is one of the more frustrating things. Yeah. Um, and so 
those two presidents, two really good presidents who are ranked in the top 10 of a lot of like when they rank the presidents, both yeah. of them file, fall their way in there, that the whole interstate system that we have, which is an inherently social program, <laughs> right, was created by Dwight D. Eisenhower after he saw the Audubon yep. in Nazi Germany, because it's a great way to get across the country. And it's an important military function for a country to have an interstate system that is functioning. Right. And social security, minimum wage, FICA, um, mm -hmm. all the things, the FDIC, the things that protect, if the banks go bankrupt, you don't lose your money, yeah. which I don't think even the most uh, fiscally conservative person is in favor of that. Right. I think they are in favor of that because nobody wants to lose their money because the banks go belly up. Yeah. But that is a social uh, safety net right. welfare program. So socialism in and of itself is not evil USSR stuff. No. And to be rea a realist in terms of government's structure, we are not pure capitalism. And pure capitalism is not a good thing. Right. Pure socialism is not a good thing. No. I mean, the, the, none of these things are good, but but it's not this threat of like when people say free college or like debt relief. Like we've always had that. So that is a, a mainstay of our current understanding. This is not right. like a new item right? and things like that. And the problem is, so this is an analogy that I use and it works in so many different areas but i have google chrome as my web browser of choice mm -hmm. and we frequently have disagreements that web browser and i because of the thing that is known as um oh my wife's coming i should tell her we're in the middle of recording. right now yeah. yeah um so let me talk and do this at the same time one of my biggest problems with google chrome as a browser is autofill oh yeah because i have one laptop and i do some things for personal and I do some things for work mm -hmm. and I do some things for like family stuff. And when I start to fill in any field, like a big, you know, billing address, whatever. Yeah. Autofill, I would say 60% of the time guesses which one of those three avenues yeah. of my life. Yeah. Wrong. Yeah. And just fills in all the blanks and I have to then go through and delete everything yeah. and fill so much of our political conversation in this country anymore is autofill. Autofill, yeah. The minute you say in a podcast, America is already a socialist nation, Boom. there, there yeah. are people out who there listening down. who went yeah. and filled it in. And if you're right, and okay. It's like, oh, I get what these guys are saying. And right. no, we're no. not saying that at all. And it, it it's so destructive yeah. if it's wrong because then you have to go back line by line and delete everything and yeah. fill in the right answer. So yeah. like... Are we a socialist nation as in we could turn into communist Russia tomorrow? No, no not at all. Not even close. But are we pure capitalism? No, no we're closer we're to either. socialism than we are to capitalism. Yeah, I mean, like capitalism, again, think back to the bank, the Wall Street disaster of 2008, 2007, 2008. Capitalism says let the banks fail. Yeah. Capitalism says let the market crash. And capitalism says if you put your money in a bank and that bank fails, then you lose your money. Yeah. Like capitalism is unforgiving. Capitalism says if you can't work, you don't eat. Like yeah. that, it's 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 social Darwinism in a way that is unjust, and uh, and yet the most just in the sense that the strongest survive. Yeah, but we are commanded, as we talked about last time, by Jesus to protect the least of these. Yeah, and if we are part of a system that inherently not only doesn't protect them but actively is against them. That one could argue that that's not in the that that system that we would take part in that is that is unchristian and we as Christians yeah. need to work against the system that would do that. Yep. Okay. So one thing to bring us to take us into a, a deeper philosophical level. Uh, is she coming in? I don't know. Okay. We'll find out. Um, 
So yeah, we may have a guest in this program. <laughs> I have three guests. <laughs> yeah, that's yeah. Right. Oh, 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 yeah. Uh, so um, one thing that I think that I do want to bring into this, um, which is taking us kind of deeper level away from modern day uh, politics and into the larger realm of empire. Uh-huh. So there's this word that we talked about briefly in one of the other things called Christendom. Yes. Christendom, which is basically Christian empire. Yep. So Christendom is something that has been the forefront of Western Christianity for the last 400 years, maybe more than that. I mean, maybe thousand years. Yeah. So since the rise of Western empires and particularly the, the British empire, mm-hmm. So the British Empire was a huge um, proponent of Christendom. Christendom, this idea that we are going to spread this Christian empire, we're going to conquer the world for Christ. And so during the Age of Exploration, uh, it was was saturated in Christendom. And so you see... And if you watch a movie like The Mission, there's a movie in 1986 uh, with Robert De Niro and Jeremy Irons called The Mission. It's Mm -hmm. great. And uh, Robert De Niro is a conquistador. Uh, it's a really good movie. It sounds weird. Yeah. Um, but, uh, uh, and Jeremy Irons is a priest. And so it's this dual nature of these two guys who are on the same boat or the same group over together. And the priest is going legitimately to try to spread the gospel. And the conquistador is going legitimately to try to conquer these people and subdue them. Yeah. And that, that, and then how that plays out. It's a really kind of beautiful and confusing and very mid 80s movie, art housey movie. It won the, like the Palm d'Or at, at the Cannes <laughs> Film Festival in 1986. So, um, that the the spread of Christianity and all of the the reason why South America speaks Spanish hmm. is because of the Spanish conquering and right. why they're Catholic, right? And why the same thing about like so Me- the, the 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 Catholicism in South America is not inherent of that place. It is from the Spanish Empire right. that came from Spain. And they brought Spanish language to all of America. Right. And that's where that comes from. And so in this, and the same thing with the the British, as they were taking colonies, they were taking uh, Christianity everywhere. And so Rudyard Kipling, the guy who wrote the Jungle Book, wrote this poem called The White Man's Burden. And the White Man's Burden uh, exemplifies this. And it basically is saying it is the white man's burden to uh, conquer the world and subdue it and educate the savage people around this is kind of paraphrasing his words but using his words as much as i can um to to basically say we who are smarter and more intelligent and more god has blessed us white people more than the rest of the world and so it is our duty and it's a burden in the sense that it is it's a it's our task it is our cross to bear yeah that we have to go and conquer these people and for and save them for their own salvation yeah to to change their heathen ways to uh to 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 do all these things and and so it then becomes a justification for imperialism and the the yoking of the church with empire uh created this sense of christendom and then this sense of christian empire and all of that gets renewed every once in a while and it got renewed in the 1950s in america <laughs> yes i finally oh, got you at a good break oh point. man yeah. i really First, I thought you were going to tell me something. If I knew you were going to sneeze, I would have just kept on talking because I, <laughs> your sneezes are my favorite part of this podcast. I think that's only the third sneeze we've had, and I'm going to leave yeah. that in because okay. it's so good. Leave it on there. Oh, you are a great sneezer. Uh, so <laughs> my, my mom talents. would sneeze like this, like a like a cat. Oh, no, no. My dad would sneeze like this, and I have to pull back. It, would, <laughs> it sounded like someone in the next apartment was doing kung fu. <laughs> He'd go like this. Hot chair, hot. 
and it didn't sound like a sneeze. It sounded 100% exactly like that. Yeah. Uh, so your, your sneeze is a classic sneeze. Thank you. Thank you. So Christendom, uh, so we get um, this, this sense, this purpose that Western culture and especially white culture, but uh, European culture has justified mm-hmm. their conquering of other people as God has ordained it. Yep. That as with great power comes great responsibility. And we have had the great power of this perfect civilization yep. that we must share with other people. Yep. And really, that serves the empire incredibly well. No kidding. And it serves the church not very well. Not at all. at all. And so we get this. And this is where the title of this is part two of that. The title of this of this um, episode the that the ice cream and cow manure, that the empire is actually not hurt at all. And it's kind of made better yeah. by that. And this is where you get the crusades. The crusades is it was for the, the advantage of those governments to take over Jerusalem. And then as the crusades go on, they aren't even going to Jerusalem. They're just going to other countries and conquering those countries and cr- killing other Christians yeah. and, and Jews, like people not even getting into what they, the, the initial thing was the Muslim horde that had taken over Jerusalem, which in, in and of itself has issues. Like there was nothing righteous about any of the no. crusades, but all of them had ulterior motives that just became more and more. By the time you get to the fourth crusade, it is so blatant that it's not even about religion. Yeah. Um, but the, uh, and it's disgusting. Yeah. But that sense that the empire has embraced um, religion as a mechanism to gain more power. Yep. And so then you see this really start to come to fore in the 1950s America because um, of our the, the Cold War. Mm-hmm. So the Cold War, we're fighting right. against the godless infidels. Godless infidels who are uh, the, the official state religion of the USSR of the Soviet Union was atheism. Right. So uh, Christianity was effectively outlawed. If not full on outlawed, it was definitely dissuaded. The, like the Orthodox Church still existed, but in a much hampered way. And yeah. Um, and so to set ourselves apart from that, um, this is the time where the the Christianization of America really comes to fore. In God We Trust was not officially on our money until that point. And yeah. the Pledge of Allegiance say, the pledge. did not say under God until 1954. Right. Um, the, uh, there are all kinds of, and there were elements of deism throughout our whole, the, the found. The founders, how, how deep the, the, the history of this, so the yeah. founding of our nation was not founded on Christian principles, it was founded on deist principles. Very much The so. only, um, there's only a handful of overt Christians in the founding fathers. Uh, George Washington was kind of a Christian. Yeah. Um, and uh, there's another guy who, Dickinson, I think. Um, who was a Presbyterian? Well, and the point of the too the, the the Thomas Jefferson gets all the air on this yeah. as like the classic example of the DS going through the Bible and cutting yep. out the parts he doesn't yeah. like. He, they so, were all like him. Yes, <laughs> yeah. So Thomas Jefferson creates a thing that's a real thing called the Jefferson Bible. You can get it now. He went through the Bible and literally cut like with a knife. Yeah, cut out all the parts of the Bible that he didn't like. And all the parts of the Bible, all of the parts of the, the the gospels that he didn't like, it was basically all of the supernatural things, all of the not. And so he creates a Jesus that looks like Thomas Jefferson, <laughs> right? And so, and yeah. we do that, even, oh, yeah. if, even though we don't saying, literally oh. cut them out. So, uh, all and that's what deism is 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 just believing that there's a higher power, but it's also a watchmaker mm-hmm. God. 
So this this idea that God created the world and then left. Yeah, and lets and, us and figure it out. The same way that a watchmaker creates a watch and then leaves. So the watchmaker isn't making the watch run. They've created it so that it'll run on itself. Yep. And that's deism believes that there is a creator. And that's where you get uh, endowed by our creator and all, all these, whenever they're talking about creator stuff, especially in the early founding father stuff, that's who they're talking about. They're not talking about the Christian God as right. we understand it. They're talking about some nebulous creative force that does not intervene in, in world affairs anymore and has, has no, is not caring, right. is not, doesn't have a relationship with us. Just set things up and now it's up to us. So it's a very enlightenment view of the world that it's up to us to figure it out and yeah. we with our intellect will solve things and that's where you get white man's burden and especially the founding fathers set up a system so yep. that people were protected yep. from the or no the government was protected from people yep. basically uh the i mean the revolution the american revolution was not a revolution because a rev real revolution is an upheaval class system the rich people in america were even richer at the yeah. end of the revolutionary yep. war all of the people who are the first level of presidents were all the richest people in america yep. we have always only had rich people as presidents <laughs> yep. and that's by design our yep. government is set up for that even in the initial thing the House of Representatives was elected by the people, and that's why it has so little power. Yep. The Senate was initially elected from within the legislature, from right. not from the people, like the House of Lords and the House of Commons were in um, uh, in England. And so it was safeguarded. And the whole Electoral College was uh -huh. specifically designed because they did not trust people. Yep. And only the only people who were allowed to vote were people who owned land. And in order to own land, you had to have money. Yep. And so there was a, a tremendous amount of the American populace that were disenfranchised from voting by design from the initial outset. Yep. No women could vote. No non-landowners could vote. And that was a huge percentage of the people. So yeah. only rich people could vote. That's how they wanted it because they didn't trust people. Yeah. And, and there's a part of me that that's agrees not with democracy. Them. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> there's yeah. a big piece of me that goes, yeah, that's probably a good idea. Yeah. Uh, so that's not pure democracy. That's no. that's an oligarchy. Right. Um, and, and a meritocracy or a, an economic uh, <laughs> or a moneyocracy, whatever that is. Yeah. Uh, will tell me. There's a word for that. Yeah. Anyway, no, but uh, yeah, the, the, that whole thing. First of all, I took an entire class in seminary on the history of religion and politics. Yeah. Uh, and, and the one question of that class was, is America a Christian nation? And we, the thing we kept coming back to, and this is an answer that never gets brought up in our political debates anymore either. The answer you keep coming back to is it depends. Yeah. It depends who you ask. What yeah. what point of founding do you mean? Yeah. Uh, and what do you mean by Christian? Yeah. And, and, and that third one's the biggest point. Yeah. Because I think the, my simple answer to the, ask that question again, I'll give you my initial answer. Is America, it was America founded as a Christian nation? No. Right. Is, I would, is America a Christian nation? No. Was it ever supposed to be? No. No. That would be my simple answer. Now, obviously there's more nuance than that. Right. But I do think that that helps us for a specific starting point. The goal, and when we act like it was founded on Christian principles, no, no it was not. It was founded on deist principles. Right. It was founded on enlightenment principles, which are all about human beings who are skilled, yeah, using their skills to make a utopian society, which is a very socialistic idea. Right. Yeah. And I would say, <laughs> now nah, I'm going to get in trouble. I'm really going to get in trouble. Should I say this? Yeah, I'm going to say it. We can edit it out. Yeah. Let me know later. I'll let you, we'll listen to this one before I, it goes out. I think that it is as true that America was founded on something that looked Christian, but was actually deist as it is that the people that scream the most about Christian America being a Christian nation 
are more deist than they are Christian. Yes. I think that holds, and I'd be happy to debate even somebody today. on that. Even today. Even today. Uh, I, I think, you know, it, pick your issue, but some of the ones that the the uh, conservative Christian movement yells the most about, yeah. I think they have a watchmaker view of what's going on in 100%. that issue. 100%. 100%. God's not going to do anything, so it's up to us. Yeah. And that is just not and the God Christianity And God blesses those that bless themselves, yes. like that, that, which is not in the Bible. Nope. And, and is Maybe it's the, in Jefferson. And it's the know. opposite of what is in the Bible. Right. Like, so that, that notion that, uh, that, that we are rewarded for our success, our scrupulous, I mean, it's a, maybe you could bastardize an understanding of, the parable of the talents or something like that, yeah. like that. But the, the parable of the talents is not talking about that either. It's not saying like, Oh, the shrewd business person is whom God loves the most. And that's absolutely not what's being said. So right. all of that talk of empire is to say that empire has always been. And I, I think that that's an important thing. We talked about the politics of it, but we need to talk about the, the politics in terms of empire. So this is not just right. about political discourse. This is about, where the empire interacts with religion. And I think it's important to pull that up because a lot of times when we say politics, we mean like the, the online debates right. or the political uh, discourse. Political discourse is very important. We need to talk about that. But the impact, the problem in this case is when empire uses uh-huh. Christianity or faith or religion uh, as a tool to gain power over the populace. Yeah. And we see that happen directly yeah. in America started, I mean, at many times, but especially in, implicitly coming to the forefront in 19, in, with the rise of the moral majority in the 1990s well, and riding this wave on through. Big time. Uh, I, and I think I even brought it up a, couple, a little while ago, so hang with me. I was doing a Jewish-Christian dialogue here at the church, which is my favorite hour of the month now. Oh, it's a regular um, thing now? Yeah. Nice. Oh, it's great. It's always been a regular thing, but yeah. now that our senior pastor retired, I get to be the oh, guy. Oh, sweet, sweet. Um, but we were, st- we're starting that in the North Hills, but there's oh, there's so less fun. there's less uh, synagogues in the North yeah. Hills. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's so fun. But so one of the questions that our Jewish friends had for this month was, "Tell me about all these denominations." So I oh, did yeah. this like history of the church, right? And Phyllis, where t- do you guys meet? Do you meet at the church? Yeah, we meet here. Okay, cool. Um, mostly because we have free coffee. Yeah. Um, but uh, so Phyllis Tickle who was a great Christian yep. writer and yep. has a name that is worthy of saying a thousand Hilarious. times. Yeah. Hilarious name. Phyllis Tickle uh, said that every 500 years or so, if you go back through history, the church has a rummage sale. So Phil- Phyllis Tickle, just to declare, church historian and church, um, uh, I mean, she was really good at the the hours, the the like devotional hours and vespers yeah. and oh, like prayer. So church historian who's who was tremendous on, on understanding prayer, but also looking at the larger macro history of the church and just passed away a couple years ago. She was like 85 or something like that. So sorry, that was just clarity on who Phyllis Tickle is. No, no, that's good. But, but one of the big rummage sales happens right away at around 476. If my, uh, I get scared talking to somebody actually knows history on this, the fall of Rome. Yeah. And the reason that's such a big deal to the church is, and this is where, where I bring it around to being relevant. Constantine emperor of Rome becomes Christian and says, great. Now the entire empire is Christian too. So rummage sale meaning that this isn't this is a, a change in this is an epoch a yeah, change in epoch a so, whole change so the, of... the first five hundred years of the church's existence were like this where the church is illegal it's underground people are being persecuted and murdered and to be a Christian has tremendous cost right. and then suddenly Constantine becomes the emperor and to be a Christian becomes the status quo right which is an incredible flip yep 
to be this thing that has ultimate cost to now it's the almost the opposite. It costs not to be a Christian. Right. But what's interesting is Philistica, I can't remember when Constantine was. It was right around there. Uh, uh, he's Bartleby, not the rummage. Knows. Yeah, Bartleby will let me know. He's not the rummage sale. It's when the empire falls. Yeah. That, yeah. The, that the rummage sale really takes place. So it's when the faith puts all of its hope in the empire. Yes, yes, yes. And then all of a sudden the empire goes away, as empires are wont to do. Mm-hmm. The church, Every empire ever. Yeah, goes away. Has None of them have lasted more uh-huh. than 300 years. So the church finds itself staring around going, oh no, we hitched our wagon to this thing, and unbeknownst to us, that thing is gone. Yeah. Uh, and so there's a big piece of me that worries about, and again, you see it on both sides, but I think you see it more on the religious right, just yeah. to be fair. Yeah. Um, these politicians that will adopt Christian, I would argue in a lot of cases, deist views yeah. to get voters, if that political side falls, yeah. if the empire goes away, yeah. and you've hitched your wagon to this power Well, and the source, empire going away to them is a sign of God losing. Right. And so we must defend the empire because that is the church. Right. That the two are synonymous. And that's And so... the needs of the empire are the needs of the church. And that's the greatest lie that empire has told us. And so dangerous. Yeah. So, so dangerous. Um, so then what's the next one? What's the next epoch? Uh, according to Tickle, uh, the next one would be the Great Schism. Yes, yes, yes. So that's between the Catholic Church and the Orthodox Church. Right, which is about 10 or about 1,000-ish. Yeah. It depends on where you want to pick that one getting set off. Yeah, but, but the filioque. Yeah. We could say some Latin. Is that what that is? Yeah. Sure. And then Reformation. What's most interesting which about— Which is 500 years later. Yeah. yeah. Which is— And then she's saying we're due for one now. That's what's yeah. interesting. And, and so it's every 500 years the church implodes. There were people that thought it was the uh, emergent church movement. And it's not. Yeah, that's when she first wrote that book is that people were starting. And actually, when she was writing that book, she was like, a lot of people thought it was emergent, but it's looking like that wasn't it. Right. I think, truthfully, and and this is almost alarmist, but I think accurate, I think it's going to be similar to the fall of Rome in that. The politics. Yeah. The the tying to the empire. I think so much of Christian faith getting tied to politics in America right now is setting us up for the next rummage sale. So an interesting thing about that, I just kind of offhandedly said it, but from a historical standpoint, no empire has ever lasted longer than 300 years. Now, (laughs) depending on how you want to measure this, America's been around since uh, 1776, Yep, which means we got about 60 years left, if we want to put it that way. Now, one could argue that America's been an empire since 1818 or yeah, 1918 I was gonna say it, since since World War one I. I would back it up to so, the world Wars yeah. so we we got about 200 years left if that's the right. case we right. are we are just now hitting the 100 year mark of our empire uh, one could also argument argue from a historical standpoint that everything is expediated now that as the modern world goes on that that these all these cycles go faster right um, so the, but the clear reality of, of history is that America as an empire and we so are an empire yeah, oh yeah we are not going to last forever. <laughs> no, that, that I mean, that, well, at least not as constituted. Like the British Empire, yeah. was a thing. Britain's still Britain's around. still around, but they're not an empire. They're not an empire and, anymore. And us as a dominant superpower, that's not just the way that things will go forever. No. And so this notion that China is gaining more power and China may be the the new kind of world superpower, mm-hmm. that's not a, a threat so much as it's a 
reality, a, a, a possible reality. Yeah. And there was a time in the eighties that I didn't realize at the time, but there was a big concern that folks had that Japan was going to be that. Yeah. And Japan was really on target to be that, especially from a non-military standpoint, but just from a commercial standpoint. Uh-huh. Uh, but then their economy imploded yeah. in the early 90s, mid-90s. And it was mainly because of the Sega Dreamcast. <laughs> that was it. That was it. Undid a they whole were all, empire. They, yeah, they were on target to go through <laughs> there. I mean, that's why Blade Runner all exists in in like a J- Japanese future. <sighs> yeah. And then, uh, then Dreamcast had to take us all out because that stupid controller, the worst controller. Yeah. So here's one of the interesting, though, nuances in all of this. Yeah. Is And again, the, the language I use around this is, is kind of anal- uh, an analogy, but we are, each and every one of us, dual citizens. Yes. I am a citizen of the kingdom of God, and I, in my mind, that comes first. Each and every one of us Christians. Yeah, right. right, there, right. Are, there are folks who are listening who are who may not consider themselves right. part of that empire, which is fine. Right. No, that's great. Um, in my case, let's do it that way. Yeah. I am a citizen of the kingdom of God. You are a C? I, oh, no. Don't start. <laughs> Father Abraham had many sons. I don't even know how that thing goes. <laughs> no. And I get, I get, I struggle. I worry when someone says that because like, I don't know if I could spell Christian that quickly. <laughs> <laughs> so it's a song that goes, I am a C. I am a C-H. I am a C-H-R-I-S-T. Yeah, I never see, sang that. I, I never on. sang that one when I was a kid. No, I did the Father Abraham. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, citizen of the kingdom of God, and in my life, that holds first priority. But I am a citizen of this particular empire, mm-hmm. as such that it is, and I do have a vested interest in making sure that this empire is okay, in as far as it keeps me okay. Yeah, um, and your kids, right? Especially being a parent, the the need for the the lifestyle that we have grown up in to persist right um puts our priorities in a certain way that we want it to not implode in the next 80 years and that's why i think when people hear this is another autofill area when people hear us say things like america is not founded as a christian nation isn't a christian nation Mm -hmm. sounds like we're saying we hate america or something like that. yeah or we like are are dancing on the ashes of the coming fire no like that's no. not true at all. I no. love this country. Yeah. I can't imagine being anywhere else. Well, and that also gets to, uh, sorry to interrupt, but the, no, the, the notion, this either or, that right. either you support the troops or you don't. That no. You can love America and be so frustrated with what's going on. You can love America and not stand up for the pledge of the, for the national anthem. Yeah. One could argue that those who don't stand up <laughs> love America, maybe not more, but in a way that is discernibly costly. Yep. Because they're willing to care to say something matters. Yep. Because if they didn't love America, they would just say, who cares? And they wouldn't stand up and they wouldn't do any of those things, or they wouldn't sit down or, right. or protest right, right, because right. you only protest something that you think is worth changing. Right. If it wasn't worth changing, just go somewhere else. And that is not the case. And so to, to say you love America should not have to mean, or to, to say any of these critical things, that shouldn't have to qualify to say, and just so you know, we do love America. Right. Because we do love America. I do, I absolutely I do. love everything this country has given me. I love what is like about this country. I love the comforts of this. But because I love this country, I can also see the terrible things that this yeah. country does. I love my family. Right. But I can see better <laughs> than you yeah. the things that, I, that are bad about my family. Right. Both my, my personal, I, uh, my personal, myself, yeah. my personal family, but also my extended family and my church family. And all. Of, I think that if the, the greater love that you have for a person or a thing or a community that you belong to, the greater you should have a vested interest in making that thing 100%. better. Right. 
and not perfect because it will nothing will ever be perfect but it should always be striving to be better well, and man gosh we are designed to make a more perfect union yes those are some good words yeah not a perfect union a, a more, more perfect, perfect union. it should be better tomorrow than it is today yeah um but i think the nuance is you have to balance the dual citizenship well yeah uh so i'm going to put a real fine pin on this the the immigration question the the situation down at the border yeah um empire says rightly or wrongly but empire says yeah these people are coming from other countries to take our jobs and ruin our economy and get yeah. all the benefits of so build a wall protect the empire yeah okay and because of the potential threat like right. yes we may be shutting out let's say even if you were going to be uh i mean allowance even i think the the worst like say donald trump the biggest kind of person who's afraid of immigrants like even if he were to concede half of them are okay yeah then well let's protect ourselves like it's worth shutting out a certain percentage that are okay right. to keep out the ones that are a th not only a threat to our jobs but that are rapists and murderers yeah. and all kinds of stuff like yeah. that which those numbers get super inflated and, and you can yeah, again i'm yeah. not arguing in favor of the, the actual saying, percentages are less than two percent i know yeah it's, yeah it's negligible it's less than american citizens yeah. who commit any of those violent crimes right Immigrants are far less criminal than American citizens. But I think the point at which Christians should should take note <laughs> is anytime you see kids in cages, that's got to be waking up the kingdom of God citizen side yes. of you right away. Yes. Defend the empire, sure. And if you, you know, again, good natured people can disagree about how best to do that. And I'm happy to have that conversation. But when you have kids in cages, <laughs> and you've got you, a problem. And also when you, when you, your first response to kids in cages is to defense, like, well, they weren't really cages and like, well, they weren't there that long. Right. Like that. No, nope. no, no. <laughs> yeah. I don't, you're not going to, you, you are not going to pick up a Bible and tell me that there is a scripture that justifies that action no. anywhere. And it's like, I mean, the, the, trying to justify the Japanese internment camps in World War II. No, right. Like, does that mean that we're the worst country in World War II? No. no. But it also doesn't make us the good guys. Right, no. Like, and there's, that's another piece of it, too, is, is own the bad stuff. Yeah. <laughs> and, it's, and, and it's not a good versus evil. It's no. not because they're the bad guys. That must make us the good guys. Yeah. Like, because you have Nazis who are history's perfect villain. Yeah. So, I mean, both Indiana <laughs> Jones and uh, history in general yeah. have succeeded because like have really benefited from how cartoonishly evil the Nazis are. Right. But we were also doing terrible things. Sure. And that's not because I hate America. It's because I love America that we need to recognize that we did some pretty terrible things. We there's only one country in the world that has ever dropped an atomic bomb. Mm -hmm. Actually, there's there's two. And both of them are called the USA. Yeah. And we did it within 36 hours of each other. Yeah. And no country has ever dropped an atomic bomb on right. anyone else. Right. It's only been us. And it's, this is a comic book nerd bit, but it's true. Um, Thanos in Infinity War, I'm not spoiling Endgame yet. That's coming later. But the best villains in comic books and comic book movies are the yeah. ones that think they're doing the right thing. Yeah, we talked about this a little bit in the MCU yeah. thing. That that's that's what makes a true villain. I mean, Hitler did, didn't think he was the bad guy. No, he thought he was doing good stuff. And that's and a lot of people thought he was doing good stuff too. And a lot of people said we understand that there's some bad stuff you're doing, but it's for a good purpose. That right. the end justifies the means. Right. And even Thanos in Infinity Game is saying, "Yes, I realize this is people will die, but yeah. more people will live because right. of it." And I th it's not to say America's the bad guy again. Again, don't autofill stuff on this, but it is to say that we are not as pure as we would want to be. Yeah. 
Um, and we well, and just that. get out of that binary sense of good guys and bad guys right. is that because they're the bad guy doesn't make us the good guy. Right. And because we do bad things doesn't make us the bad guy. Right. But that just because we are fight, fighting for truth, justice in the American way doesn't mean that we are uh, immune to mistakes and accidents right. and, and hurtful things and right. damaging things. Right. That. Yeah, yeah, it's, uh, and and also never underestimate the um, the seditious power or the seditious uh, movement of those who would want power right. in the face of good, right. and that those who would piggyback on righteous causes for things that benefit the empire. Yeah, and so in the midst of World War II, you have, and the aftermath of World War II, there's really two countries that are left standing. It's us, because we didn't, because nothing was fought in America. Right. So we didn't lose any of our natural resources, and Europe is decimated. Yeah. And Russia, because it's huge. Like, that's <laughs> right. it. Russia lost, like, 60 million people, but they also had, like, a lot more 300 million spare. people. Yeah. And they're Soviet, so they're just, it's just this machine of people. Yep. And so, and they have tons of land, and so tons of resources. And they had also, like, slowly taken over all of these other like Eastern European satellites and, and had created this empire on that side. And so since it's the two of us, then as you see world war two wrapping up, you see the, the people who see the opportunity for America to become a paramount um, superpower, start to position certain things and you do things for pre patriotic. I'm using quotes, mm -hmm. patriotic purposes to benefit the empire, not to benefit the citizens or to benefit the larger, the, the, the God kingdom of the world right. that says we're supposed to take care of the poor people. Right. That recognize that if we couch this as protecting poor people, but really we're talking about white poor people. Yeah. That uh, then, then we can get into this middle-class fifties where there's this, like the, the growth of the middle class in the 1950s is exclusively white people. Yes. Because we were given a narrative that says these are like these working class people that need to benefit are white. Yep. And most people just assumed that white people were who they were talking about. And so they never questioned things like redlining yep. or the GI bill that did not, that, that were not available to people of color who had fought the same thing, who were in the same places. And you see these city centers, which are the center of commerce in almost every major city, all of a sudden get depleted because of the growth of the suburbs. And so then, and the city centers are abandoned and the, the, the people of color are, it's illegal for them to move into the suburbs because of right. redlining and laws that make it um, illegal to discriminate against people of color and saying it will hurt property values if you let non-whites move into this place. And so then they're left in the city. And then now that all the white people are out of the city, you can stop giving any resources to them because yep. all the white people are out. And so this very, very systematic racism, which in, exclusively discriminates against people of color, can happen outside of most people's understanding yep. because they see an America that's flourishing. And then when they see these other communities where they're not flourishing, they can it blame it fault. On, yeah, on that community and yep. not on the system that prevented that community from getting out. 100%. And, and turned what used to be flourishing neighborhoods into slums because they, they sequestered people into those places and then shut off all the resources. Yeah. And that, for whatever reason, I mean, we can debate kind of the, the rationale behind it, that you can see it was to the benefit of empire uh -huh. to do that because it creates a system 
where there's a class system, there's a lower class. And for a large, I mean, the, if you were really concerned about immigration in this country, uh, illegal immigration especially, you would go after not the illegal immigrants, right. not the people who are, want, who, are, who are looking for jobs, but the people, the businesses that hire them. Yep. Because they are the ones who, you can't fault someone who wants to work right. for working illegally. Right. You can fault a business that is from here, that knows the laws, that is willing to hire people illegally. Right. So if you really wanted to stop illegal immigration, you really shut down on the American businesses right. and the American business people who hire illegal immigration. But they don't really want to stop that. Right. They, you want to scapegoat people. You want to create an enemy. Yeah. And if you're going to create an enemy, the enemy has to be not us. Yeah. And actually those businesses are good and they thrive. And this new model of merit-based immigration is going to be a downfall of the economy because there's so many our economy is still we have since the inception of america our economy has been built on slave labor yeah and we ended slavery and then we kept it through jim crow laws yeah. and then we kept we found a new revenue standpoint of slave labor through illegal immigration of people that we do not have to pay living wages and don't have to pay even minimum wages because yeah. we can pay under the table and and get those costs and if you lose all those people like American workers are not going to slide into the lower class jobs because they, the businesses can't pay them nope. minimum wage nope. and they're jobs that we have spent decades telling people are beneath Americans doing these jobs. Yep. So like picking fruit, not picking strawberries, happen. not going to no. happen. No, because that's not the American dream that we've been painted. No, right? no. Well, the American dream is that you go, you, you, you succeed up. Yeah. You don't succeed down. Right. And a job that has zero chance of uh, elevation, of promotion, that's what beneath you. you. Yeah. yeah, what you can do. That's for slaves to do. Yeah, yeah. Right. So, so to, to tie this up, because my kids are somewhere in this building screaming. Nice. Um, but to tie this up well, here's where again we don't want to say what you should think, how you should vote, any of that stuff. But this is, I think, a framework for a good way to keep the ice cream and the manure separate. Yeah is step one, have conversations, not debates. Yeah. I think that's critical. Uh, two, talk about policy and not drama. Yeah. We didn't even get into news sources a whole lot in this. We could yeah. spend some more time on that. Well, but. And, and know that, I mean, as with any of these issues, any any of these, not issues, but any of the topics and any of the, the thing that, this is a, a one aspect of the conversation, one hour of the conversation, or in this case, two, um, that, I mean, we could talk about Marvel, Mm-hmm. For we could have a whole co- podcast just on Marvel Cinematic Universe. We could have a whole podcast on kids' TV shows or even Weezer. Although we probably talked about Weezer enough, but like <laughs> that, we can have a whole conversation. We could have a podcast about music. We could have a podcast mm-hmm. about movies. We could have a podcast about riding bikes or going to Penguins games. Like, there's all kinds of things that we could talk about. Um, this is just one part of this conversation. This is not a complete part of the conversation. We are not experts by any means. No. We are just uh, people trying to articulate this idea. And I mean, part of this, the idea of separating the, the ice cream from the cow manure is recognizing, knowing what the ice cream is Mm -hmm. and knowing what the cow manure is. I think that that is, that has been one of the biggest problems is that we have been told that they are one and the same. Mm -hmm. And especially to people on the outside of the church. And I would say that this, when we get away from the politics of this thing, this is one of the reasons why the church has become so uh, distasteful. Oh, we have credibility for people issues. outside of the churches because they look at what, like, when we say, "Oh, yeah, I work for the church, or I'm part of the church, or I, we think this," they look at this pile of cow manure that has some ice cream mixed into it, and they think, "That's Scott. Who would eat right. that? Right. Who would want any of that? That is horrible." 
And we need to be able to articulate for ourselves, one, we need to separate these two. And two, that is not what we're called to be. We're not called to be a pile of crap with ice cream melted into it. <laughs> right. And that, that those are two different things. But that, uh, I mean, the Kaminoor analogy does fall apart because it is important. I would say empire is not something we should strive for. That is Kaminoor. Right. But politics, and that's, again, that's why I put it as, as empire versus politics. Politics is something we're implicitly called to do. Yeah. That, that the great commission that we have from Jesus is to go into all the world and, and to preach the gospel and make disciples. And that's not proselytizing. That's not going and saving souls. That's not right. going and handing out Bibles and getting people to say the sinner's prayer. That is going into the world and being Jesus to those people, yes. living out a gospel and Jesus. And when people say, what does that mean? People says, you got to love the orphans. You got to love the widows. You got to love the immigrants. Yeah. You got to love all the disenfranchised people. You got to love the people who hate you. You got to love the people with power who we use it to abuse it. You got to be love to all these people. And then you got to help them to also do that with other people. Absolutely. And we cannot do that if we are so intermixed with, instead of the goals of Jesus, the goals of the empire. Yep. And when we have both people within the church and people outside of the church thinking that the goal of the church is to maintain power. That's a problem. That is a huge, huge problem. problem. And it looks like a pile of crap. Yeah. Basically, don't be a pile of crap. Don't be a pile of crap. Um, so as oh yeah so there is um please engage with us let us know what yeah, you think about oh this man. on twitter on instagram and things like this like this is the kind of thing we do want to talk about and and we really appreciate the tweets and stuff but really i know that there's a lot of people who are listening who maybe haven't engaged uh even if you want to uh, uh, like engage us privately yeah, like direct please. messages email us um, i like, almost prefer that yeah that that's uh and even if you aren't sure like you could just like tweet roughing the past or be like mm -hmm. how do i get a hold of you guys and yeah. we'll we'll direct you like direct message you yeah to let know about that uh but engage in conversations about this because there is a level of risk and uh, again as i mean to, to talk about putting ourselves out there in risk <laughs> as two white guys yeah. in america no, like we have so much privilege it's overwhelming yeah but <laughs> It is. I mean, we're supposed to not talk about politics and we're two people who do have voices of authority in the church. And there is some risk in terms of identifying any kind of politics, even just saying who you voted for. Right. It, it sways how people see you. And, and our our goal is not to do that. And hopefully for our parishioners, for people in our church, for people in leadership with us, who people who have respected our voices, that this did not change any of that for you. Right. Hopefully. And if it did, that's too bad because <laughs> it's still true, whether you knew it or true. not. It's still true. And and that also just kind of speaks to kind of one of the problem situations that we're in and that, that we cannot, that it's, that it's not safe to talk about politics, which is stupid. Yeah. And again, we need to talk about this. We need to talk about politics. We need to talk about religion because at the very least, we need to be able to tell the difference between the ice cream and the, and the manure. Yeah. And if we don't talk about it, then it's just going to get all lumped together and we won't be able to articulate the difference. And especially from outside of the church, we won't be able to tell people, well, that pile of crap that you see there is not the church. Right. No, and, it's, it's critical that we figure out how to do this in a civil, engaging way. Yeah. Um, not just a civil way of like be nice to each other, but like in a way that honors and respects other people yeah. in spite of their views. <laughs> and as Christians, like the Christian church is designed to be political. Yeah. And I, that doesn't mean it's designed to be swarmed around politics or a, 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 a champion of the empire or a tool of the empire. Right. It means that we are supposed to think like the things that we care about are often things that are political. Almost everything, literally everything that Jesus does is a political issue. Oh, man. 
And it's still political issues now. It's he cares about poverty. He cares about identity. He cares about uh, sexuality in terms of like people who've been disenfranchised because of their sexuality. Yep. He cares about power structures. Power structures. Church. He care about. He well, is killed by the empire. Yeah, that is a huge thing for us to know. Uh-huh. And he is killed by the church and the empire. Those two things. When those two things get mixed together, yeah. as they were in first century Palestine, Some and happen. as they are now, and as they are have always been since the history of the church and the history of the empire, the two things have been together. Uh, the, those two things make really poor bedfellows. Yeah. And so to separate empire and church is not to say that we need to separate politics from faith. No, you because can't. faith in action is political. Right. And it doesn't mean that, that it, it leads us to affect, to, to tell people how they should vote. But it does mean that it means that we need to get out in the street and do things yeah. that we need to be active and we need to live in such a way that when people see us as Christians, that they're not surprised that we are activists about right. certain things, right. that we are championing causes, especially of disenfranchised people. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, so be nice to us, but let's have a conversation. And be nice to each other. Yeah. And talk about this stuff. It's always great to have a conversation where people can be a little ruffled, but then at the end, shake hands and say, we're still friends. Absolutely. Those are the best conversations. They are the best conversations. So let's have them. And uh, one other thing I would encourage you is that, uh, and this is one of those things that I'm getting this just from listening to other podcasts. So one, first, in case you haven't realized this yet, we're on Apple Podcasts, which is iTunes. We're on uh, Spotify, Spotify, which is a great way to listen to podcasts because the the podcast app for Apple for the iPhone is probably the worst app I think I've ever seen. I hate it. And I get really frustrated for the podcasts that I like to listen to that are only on Apple iTunes. Yeah. Uh, And and it it drives me crazy. So we're on uh, Spotify, we're on uh, Apple Podcasts, and we're on Stitcher. So And really, I think, I don't know what else people listen to podcasts on, but those are the three main ones. So if you if you have been listening to us on Apple Podcasts, on iTunes, and you get really frustrated there's with that app, there's a better way. There's all kinds of ways. But I do know that just because of all the podcasts I listen to, that they say, please rate and review us on oh. iTunes because it does affect how the podcast gets viewed. Okay. And so if more people, if you like this, rate it. And especially if you review it, I think it changes the algorithm so that this can oh. get noticed by stuff. Yeah. Uh, so and, do that. And that's great. And and uh, rate us and review us the way that you think. I did see we, we have one one-star review. Aww. Yeah, I know. We got probably, a lot. Probably Fricker. I, I think it was Fricker. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> He's like, those guys. Oh, man. Uh, <laughs> but uh, we, we have a couple other great reviews. And so that's been really exciting. And, and so if you have the time. Uh, I know that I have, I don't think I've ever reviewed a podcast, so no. I listen to a lot of them and I always hear that and I think, I should read and review this and I never do. Yeah, uh, so if you don't, that's fine. We're still going to do this. And uh, we, Our goal for this was to, to get a couple of people to listen to and we've had a bunch of people listening and that's awesome. So uh, thank you for listening and, and thank you for engaging with stuff and, and keep on going and we're going to, uh, I think next week it's not going to be about politics. Oh, but I hope not. We need a palate cleanser. Yeah, we do. Yeah. We're, we'll talk about something really silly, like yeah. napping. Oh. Uh, yeah. Maybe we'll just take a nap. Yeah. yeah. I can't nap. Cool. That's the that's the teaser for the other thing. Well, we'll come back to that I'm next not, week. I'm not a good napper. Which, if this is a Monday Thursday episode, the next episode is like just coming in mere days, right behind us. Yeah. So what's coming up at the end of? So we're we'd probably be in June with this one. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, get ready for Flag Day, everybody. Hey. Yeah. Yeah. Well, till Flag Day. Yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm Tyler. And I'm Jay. Oh, oh no. Close. Oh.
so much to talk about today. I kind of figured. But oh my, Bartleby. Well, what do you got today, Mr. Bartz? Well, I've got several things to tell you about. All right, so here we go. Thank you, Bartleby. Yeah. Okay. So first, uh, Clarity, he wants to let us know. Oh, um... About Reese's Pieces. Uh oh. First, he does. Uh, he he confirms and affirms both of us. Okay. Well done, sir. Thank you. Thanks, Bartley. Thank you. Uh, our pronunciation of Reese's Pieces is correct. Yeah. As per the Reese's website, they even say oh, wow. like one of the things that the, right on their landing page it says. By the way, it's pronounced Reese's. <laughs> Rhymes with pieces. Yeah. Not feces. <laughs> and so just to clarify, yeah, it doesn't. It's not Reese's feces. So, oh, oh, uh, that's <laughs> exactly. Don't do that. So Reese's Pieces uh, was a thing prior to the movie E.T. So oh. they were not created for the movie E.T., but they had only been around for about three years. Okay. And the movie, I guess uh, five years, because the movie E.T. came out in 82. And um, because of E.T., and it was true that that uh, the producers of E.T. did reach out to the Mars company, which makes Eminem, and say, can we use M&M's? And Mars said, No. We don't like aliens. We don't want them affiliated with our say, quality product. I still don't understand. Steven Spielberg comes to you and says, hey, I've got another one. Yeah. You guys want in? Yeah. And they go, mm, nah, pass. And then, like Close Encounters did all that stuff with mashed potatoes. We don't want that happening to our <laughs> M&Ms. <laughs> M&Ms, by the way, uh, this is a fun fact uh, that Barbie's not going to check on because I'm just going to tell it like it's real. Yeah. Uh, M&Ms were created by the Mars company for the U.S. government for World War II. Because huh. they were trying to get uh, chocolate in the rations, and the milk chocolate would melt in your hand. Yep. Before it got to your mouth. Right. And so they we said, to "Can you do problem. something to stop this milk chocolate <laughs> from melting in problem. our in our hand?" And they said, "Maybe." And they tried, and then they said, "Here, this melts in your mouth." Yeah. Not in your hand. Genius. And uh, and that's how we won the war. Yeah. And they couldn't decide if they were going to name it M's or M's, and so they just combined both. <laughs> And it was M&M's. <laughs> um, so, uh, yeah. So, uh, the, and oh, another interesting fact about Reese's peanut butter, Reese's peanut, peanut butter cups and Reese's pieces, that's not actual peanut butter in there. No. Now, logic and brain power would tell us that. <laughs> but it, but peanut butter is creamy, and they tried it with peanut butter, but it, it was creamy, and it would separate, and so it would get all oily and stuff. And so yeah. it's actually this thing called uh, panouche. Oh. And I'm pronouncing that incorrectly on purpose. Okay. Panache? We, nope, not panache. Yeah. <laughs> not like, yes, fancy, but <laughs> like uh, panache, it's, it's like a fudge. It's made with brown sugar and peanuts and stuff. So it's like a peanut fudge. Okay. Basically, like peanut, yeah. peanut flavored fudge. That adds up. Yeah, it's pretty fantastic. Which I think it was you in the, was it in the in the Secular Easter episode where we were talking about if you buy Reese's peanut butter, Reese's peanut butter that's like, what you want? Yeah, and it tastes like garbage. The yeah. Reese's peanut butter tastes like generic peanut butter that is not good at all. Yeah. And it doesn't taste anything like Reese's peanut butter cups or Reese's peanut butter because it's actual peanut butter instead of peanut butter flavored sugar is what I d- described it. <laughs> so that that actually surprised me. That uh, I mean, thanks, Bartleby. You're very welcome. He's so many surprises in such oh, man, a small he's package. So chatty today. Yeah. Wait, buddy. Okay. Uh, <laughs> we had just some clarity on the different epochs, the eras, mm. the 500 year rummage sales that yes. Phyllis Tickle told us about. Phyllis gives us another opportunity to say so, Phyllis Tickle. Exactly. The the first, um, well, so Constantine died in three, uh, 337 AD. Mm-hmm. Three, 337 okay. AD. Okay. Uh, and that was kind of the end of the peak of the Roman Empire. And then the Roman Empire fell in 
Constantine, I can't read your right. Oh, 476. So almost 500 years after Jesus, yeah. but yeah. Uh, that fits within Phyllis Tickle's kind of rough estimations. Yeah, it's always 500-ish. Exactly. Yeah, the Great Schism is that where the uh, Christian Church splits into East and West, or Orthodox and Catholic. Yeah. Um, and that happens in 1054, and then in the 1500s, the kind of just getting real loose with dates there. 1500s, the Reformation starts. Oh man, that one's so hard yep. to pin down. Yep. And then the now something's happening is the is the whole theme of that. Yeah. So I think is there anything else, Barbie? There's so much more, but I can't tell you what. <laughs> All right. There's literally too much. His so, brain yeah, there exploded. is too much. I think Bartleby, he's crying. Oh, oh I'm sorry, buddy. Bartleby. I'm sorry. There's just so much we had to say to him. It's hard if I got to pass out the truth in politics. <laughs> Tell right, me buddy. about it, buddy. Okay. Well, yeah. thanks for trying, Bartleby, for keeping us honest. We yeah. appreciate that. Did and, your best. Uh, thank you all. Uh, as we said, next week will be a little bit lighter. So, uh, yeah, thank you guys. Uh, we'll see you next week. I've been Tyler. I've been Jay. And this has been Roughing, Roughing the, the Pastor. Pastor. See you later. Boom. <laughs>